everybody. Here I am at the Upper Canada Mall in uh, the heart of Newmarket. I wanted a, a locale that sort of spoke to um, culture. And uh, I suppose there's different influences of culture. It could have been in front of a university or law courts. Um, could have been in front of a cinema or a theater. But um, I chose a mall because we are a culture of consumerism, aren't we? I mean, they even uh, recognize the changing culture and did that cool reno that you see behind me where um, I think they were uh, trying to make an experience more than just a, a, a transactional buy and sell relationship. And so I, I wanna to talk to you a little bit about culture. You'll see where I'm going in a minute here. And by way of intro, I, I had this really cool gig on CBC Radio some years ago. Um, I won this nationwide contest where I would be their new movie critic, if you can believe it. Sort of their average Joe film critic. I got to see movies a week early. I got very cool movie swag. It was kind of awesome. Uh, when they found out I was a pastor, they actually kind of embraced that aspect and called me their uh, pop culture pastor. And they allowed me to make little segments and editorials uh, bridging entertainment and culture to my faith. Jonathan Ganyu is DNTO's Alberta-based church pastor and pop culture pundit. His passion for God and his passion for Us magazine makes for a very interesting cultural perspective to say the least. Here's Jonathan's two-minute sermon on celebrity relationships and the sacrament of marriage. Yesterday, the breakup opened in wide release. Saw it. Thumbs down. But is this a case of art imitating life or the other way around? And are celebrities in on the joke? Do they even and that led to gigs being a speaker on, uh, on Christianity and culture. Um, you know, the, the thesis being that we don't have to be afraid of the culture so much as, as look for ways to redeem it. Okay, so... Um, I was always up on the latest movies, TV shows, trends. I mean, I would destroy you at pop culture trivial pursuit. And now I'm 47. And I find myself reading more books than, than watching movies. I listen to more podcasts than uh, discover new music. I mean, I'm asking my kids who the baby is and, and Juice World. And if you don't know who those artists are, you're not missing anything. And I'm trying to get my kids to explain to me what TikTok is all about and why I should care. So that's a long way of saying I'm getting old. But I'm old enough to know there's a lot more to being culturally aware than just being pop culturally aware. And it reminds me of a really intriguing and kind of obscure passage in the Old Testament scriptures. Almost seems like a throwaway comment about a group within the people of Israel. They were known as the men of Issachar. You ever, you ever hear of these men? We don't know much about them. Practically nothing, actually. Um, did a little research. Here's the little that we do know. Issachar himself was the fifth son of Jacob and Leah. You remember we talked about 
Jacob and Leah not that long ago. Uh, Leah was wife number one, lazy-eyed Leah, right? And uh, Issachar was the ninth son overall of that patriarch. The name itself seems to derive from the joining of, of the Hebrew word for man and the Hebrew word for wages. So you get sort of a, a compound word that means something like uh, hired man or hired worker. Issachar had four sons and, uh, and went with his father into Egypt where he died and was buried. And afterwards, his descendants formed one of the tribes of Israel. Now, by the end of the wanderings of Israel through the Sinai Desert, uh, they numbered more than 60,000 fighting men, we're told. And then when the Promised Land was divvied up, the men of Issachar received uh, 16 cities, plus the various adjoining villages. Moses had a nickname for them. He referred to them as a strong ass. It was a compliment. Uh, a strong ass in a beautiful land. Moses called them that. That was my nickname in high school. Moving on. Um, they were quick to follow one of their own, the great female judge, Deborah, a woman of Issachar. And they followed her into battle to, to break the stronghold the Canaanites held over their lives. Uh, there was also the minor judge, Tola, who, who was among their number. There was also two kings, Basha and his son, Elah. Um, later, when Solomon established the 12 administrative districts of Israel, Issachar's territory became one of those independent provinces. And then later in the book of Revelation, the tribe of Issachar is again mentioned where it talks about the 12,000 being sealed. Okay, but what is most evident is that by the time of David, the tribe of Issachar, then numbering 90,000, were known supremely for their wisdom. And, and it's even noted in the, in the Talmud. Now, this is what we call extra biblical literature. It's not Holy Spirit inspired writing, but it's, it's interesting in this old Jewish text that it notes that the wisest members of the Sanhedrin came from the men of Issachar. Uh, it, it was often the men from Issachar who were most often picked to, to populate the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish governing body, sort of like our, our board of elders, right? Here's what I find intriguing. It was the nature of their wisdom. Um, in, the, in the first book of Chronicles, we read these words, and, and this is the whole point I, I'm getting to here. It, I realize it was a long way to get there, but you also got a free Old Testament history lesson. Okay, here's what it says. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Now, does that grab you at all? Does that inspire you, intrigue you? They knew the signs of the times and how best to live in light of them. Man, to me, that is a powerful and important combination. First, I think we need to know the signs of the times. 
you know, to know the signs of the times is more than just like reading headlines and tweets. It's, it's knowing what is significant among the happenings of our world, um, among the events and movements and trends and ideologies and worldviews. It's knowing what is shaping us and forming us. It's knowing that as human beings, we are now alive at a unique moment in time, an era that is just full of significance. You know, part of the wider story of the world as God moves us towards our final chapter. But that's not all. Um, the men of Issachar didn't simply know those signs, but knew how to then live in light of them. They had a sense of, of what to think, how to act, and the manner in which to respond. They, they knew the role their lives had to play in light of the moment in which they lived. You know, knowing the signs of the times and how then to live has to be one of the most pressing challenges facing our lives because here's the full extent of the Issachar question. Um, what are the specific challenges of our generation? Um, what is the status of this epic struggle between good and evil and right and wrong? Where's the culture headed? Um, what is the nature of the world's greatest crisis? And then from that, a, a second question. How should I then live? How, how do I live a life of meaning and consequence and impact and influence for the cause of Christ? And how should the church take its place in terms of, of cultural engagement and missional force. You see, you see the challenge of the tribe of Issachar? To know the signs of the times and then how to wisely live in those times? I, I hope you see the challenge because listen, we need it now more than ever. We, we might be living at one of the most pivotal points in human history. There are things wise Christians are paying attention to, things within Christianity and things sort of outside of the domain of the church. For instance, um, the continual movement and expansion of Christianity southward into Africa and Asia and Latin America, it's, it's explosive really. You know, somebody has studied this and says by 2050, only one in five Christians will be a non-Latino white person. You know, we may be asking to borrow space from our Spanish church plant, NACE. Um, the center of Christianity will have shifted firmly to the Southern Hemisphere. And there will probably be a shift in how the Western and non-Western church relates to one another. And soon the West is gonna find itself as the minority Christian voice. So there's also questions as to whether Islam will, you know, modernize peacefully or will there be a clash of cultures, maybe violent, perhaps. What will, what will 
lead China in the next few decades? Will it be continued Marxism, authoritarianism, a form of Buddhism, unbridled capitalism, which has its own problems, right? Or will it be this vast underground church that we all hear rumblings of and pray for and, and, and might actually be the largest groups of Christians on this planet? Uh, will it be a radical redefinition of marriage and family? Um, a redefinition of humanity itself, you know, stem cell research and human cloning and AI. Will it be the lack of transcendent truth or looking to a force or a source outside of ourselves? You know, you could make the case that the Greek people of old, you know, God worshipers of Zeus and Aphrodite are more spiritual than most Canadians today, right? At least there was some recognition of, uh, of a truth or morality that doesn't begin and end with themselves. Not so much in 2020. You know, when the gospel broke out after Christ's great commissioning, it really went forth to, to three audiences. It went forth to the Jews, what we call the Judaizing Gentiles, and, and what they called the pagans. But all of these groups believed in the supernatural. All of them were, were conscious of something akin to sin. All had some version of divine judgment and personal purification. It, you know, it wasn't through Jesus, but you get my point. There was a commonality, a, a starting point of sorts. And the average person today may not share any of those marks. It's less of an ideological atheism or, or intellectual atheism. It's just simply a functional atheism, living as though there's no God. There's no thought of God. There's no thought of truth outside themselves. I think it's less about rejecting God and just not giving him any consideration at all. You know, this sort of all worldviews are equally true, equally valid mentality. So in that cultural context, how do we be the church, be the church full of men and women of Issachar who understand the times and know the best course of action to, to minister to a generation like this? And sometimes it's it's just recognizing that the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, in the Old Testament days, whenever the economy boomed and whenever peace prevailed, you notice the Israelites attended less and less to spiritual matters. In the words of the prophets, they forgot God. Does that sound a little familiar? And if you've been paying attention, you've seen how this COVID crisis has revealed things. It's revealed inequities. It's revealed idols. It's revealed cultural differences even. Like, have you noticed? It seems that nations who have responded best to this crisis are often Asian nations. Now, maybe not for all great reasons. It maybe sometimes it's because they're under authoritarian rule but i wonder if it's also because there's often a a cultural sense of honor 
a, a sense of honor to society, uh, of loyalty to, to one another. Now, many Western countries, you may have noticed, have suffered more so during this outbreak. And you can't help but wonder if it's because of our culture of, of individual freedom, personal rights, even a bit of exceptionalism, like the attitude of, well, I'm special, right? There's this thing we've been saying in Western contexts for years now that goes like this. Well, you just do you. And now it's like, uh, no, we don't want you doing you if it puts my family at risk, right? I, I find it kind of convicting, actually. I can hear Jesus saying, hey guys, love your neighbor. And a lot of Western Christians are saying, yeah, sure, no problem. As long as we don't have to wear a mask or curtail our activities or keep our distance or stay at home or be inconvenienced in any way. And Jesus is maybe shaking his head and going, okay, let's, let's try this again. I think COVID might also be exposing the huge gap between what our culture promises and what it actually delivers. You know, it exposes our cultural failures, failures of meaning and purpose, money, power, influence, Facebook likes, um, consumerism, right? Those failures actually create openings for the gospel. When, when idols are shown for what they are, the dissatisfaction people feel with the outcome of their lives, it opens up new potential for God to again move. I, I like how Mark Sayers says it. He goes, cultural exhaustion opens the doorways to the human heart. When the cultural scripts we live by are exposed as frauds, they deliver bad fruit. Well, new possibilities begin to emerge and he thinks we are approaching such a moment in the West. Could this even be a great awakening where Christians are influential without being influenced? You know, at my ripe old age, I remember very clearly how Christians, Christianity, were more of a subculture. We had our own bookstores, our own music, had my Christian albums in one pile and my secular albums in another. The posters that said, if you like Green Day, you might like MXPX, you know, we had our own movies and our own groups. I, I think we're figuring out that we were never meant to be a subculture, but rather a counterculture. So may we be like the men and women of Issachar, now more than ever, who understand the times and know the best course of action to take. Lord, if we emerge from this thing having developed into way more immature believers, more consumeristic, more self-reliant, more fearful, more self-serving, then uh, we've missed it, Lord. May we be a people who know what it means to feed ourselves, who through personal prayer, uh, through study, through relationship with you, people who know how to make disciples, who make disciples, May we be 
like the men and women of Issachar, sensitive to the times, sensitive to the things going on in our heart, in our relationships, in the church, in the culture, in our nation, and in our world, because the gospel speaks to every area of our lives. So come, Holy Spirit, come and apply the saving benefits of Jesus to the religious and the non-religious alike, to those who may be in the church or in the culture, but who are not in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some sort of thunderstorm warning slash tornado warning going on. I should keep the camera rolling just so we can experience that together. A real twister, viral moment. Um, folks, I, I want to thank you for being the church. I hear stories of our people who are living this thing called Christianity in the real world. I guess you have to live in the real world because there's no Sunday morning Christians lately. I want to thank you for watching church. I think it's important to stay connected in this little way. But more than watching church, I'm going to ask you, commission you now to go be the church. You're a love people. God bless you.